Chapter forty three of A Short History of the World by H. G. Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter forty three Muhammad and Islam. A prophetic amateur of history surveying the world in the opening of the seventh century might have concluded very reasonably that it was only a question of a few centuries before the whole of Europe and Asia fell under Mongolian domination. There were no signs of order or union in Western Europe, and the Byzantine and Persian empires were manifestly bent upon a mutual destruction. India was also divided and wasted. On the other hand, China was a steadily expanding empire, which probably at that time exceeded all Europe in population. And the Turkish people, who were growing to power in Central Asia, were disposed to work in accord with China and such a prophecy would not have been an altogether vain one. A time was to come, in the thirteenth century, when a Mongolian overlord would rule from the Danube to the Pacific, and Turkish dynasties were destined to reign over the entire Byzantine and Persian empires, over Egypt and most of India. Where our prophet would have been most likely to have erred would have been in underestimating the recuperative power of the latin end of europe and in ignoring the latent forces of the arabian desert arabia would have seemed what it had been for times immemorial the refuge of small and bickering nomadic tribes no semitic people had founded an empire now for more than a thousand years then suddenly the bedouin flared out for a brief century of splendor they spread their rule and language from Spain to the boundaries of China. They gave the world a new culture. They created a religion that is still to this day one of the most vital forces in the world. The man who fired this Arab flame appears first in history as the young husband of the widow of a rich merchant of the town of Mecca named Muhammad. Until he was forty, he did very little to distinguish himself in the world. He seems to have taken considerable interest in religious discussion. Mecca was a pagan city at that time, worshipping in particular a black stone, the Kaaba, of great repute throughout all Arabia, and a centre of pilgrimages. But there were great numbers of Jews in the country. Indeed, all the southern portion of Arabia professed the Jewish faith, and there were Christian churches in Syria. About forty, Muhammad began to develop prophetic characteristics like those of the Hebrew prophets twelve hundred years before him. He talked first to his wife of the one true God and of the rewards and punishments of virtue and wickedness. There can be no doubt that his thoughts were very strongly influenced by Jewish and Christian ideas, he gathered about him a small circle of believers, and presently began to preach, in the town, against the prevalent idolatry. This made him extremely unpopular with his fellow townsmen, because the pilgrimages to the Kaaba were the chief source of such prosperity as Mecca enjoyed. He became bolder and more definite in his teaching, declaring himself to be the last chosen prophet of God, entrusted with a mission to perfect religion. Abraham, he declared, and Jesus Christ were his forerunners. 
he had been chosen to complete and perfect the revelation of God's will. He produced verses which he said had been communicated to him by an angel, and he had a strange vision in which he was taken up through the heavens to God and instructed in his mission. As his teaching increased in force, the hostility of his fellow townsmen increased also. At last a plot was made to kill him, but he escaped with his faithful friend and disciple, Abu Bakr, to the friendly town of Medina, which adopted his doctrine. Hostilities followed between Mecca and Medina, which ended at last in a treaty. Mecca was to adopt the worship of the one true God, and accept Muhammad as his prophet, but the adherents of the new faith were still to make the pilgrimage to Mecca, just as they had done when they were pagans. So Muhammad established the one true God in Mecca, without injuring its pilgrim traffic. In 629, Muhammad returned to Mecca as its master, a year after he had sent out these envoys of his to Heraclius, Taitsung, Kavad, and all the rulers of the earth. Then, for four years more, until his death in 632, Muhammad spread his power over the rest of Arabia. He married a number of wives in his declining years, and his life on the whole was by modern standards unedifying. He seems to have been a man compounded of very considerable vanity, greed, cunning, self-deception, and quite sincere religious passion. He dictated a book of injunctions and expositions, the Koran, which he declared was communicated to him from God. Regarded as literature of philosophy, the Koran is certainly unworthy of its alleged divine authorship. Yet when the manifest defects of Muhammad's life and writings have been allowed for, there remains in Islam, this faith he imposed upon the Arabs, much power and inspiration. One is its uncompromising monotheism, its simple enthusiastic faith in the rule and fatherhood of God, and its freedom from theological complications. Another is its complete detachment from the sacrificial priest and the temple. It is an entirely prophetic religion, proof against any possibility of relapse towards blood sacrifices. In the Koran, the limited and ceremonial nature of the pilgrimage to Mecca is stated beyond the possibility of dispute, and every precaution was taken by Muhammad to prevent the deification of himself after his death. And a third element of strength lay in the insistence of Islam upon the perfect brotherhood and equality before God of all believers, whatever their color, origin, or status. These are the things that made Islam a power in human affairs. It has been said that the true founder of the empire of Islam was not so much Muhammad as his friend and helper, Abu Bakr. If Muhammad, with his shifty character, was the mind and imagination of primitive Islam, Abu Bakr was its conscience and its will. Whenever Muhammad wavered, Abu Bakr sustained him. And when Muhammad died, Abu Bakr became caliph, successor, and with that faith that moves mountains, he set himself simply and sanely to organize the subjugation of the whole world to Allah. 
with little armies of three thousand or four thousand Arabs, according to those letters the Prophet had written from Medina in 628 to all the monarchs of the world. End of chapter 43